0: Colossians chapter 1, if you have your Bibles, I'd like to invite you, encourage you to take them and turn with me there. A couple different texts we'll be looking at this morning as we continue on in our series, what I call Church 101, basic, okay? Why we do what we do. Thank you, Pastor Stewart, for that. Notice they cut his mic at the right time. I just hope nobody does that for me this morning. Go a little bit longer. What a delight it is to be in the house of the Lord this morning together. Brothers and sisters in Christ, on the Lord's Day, all of our attention focused on the Lord. Today's a special day. Not only do we get to remember and celebrate the communion table, what Jesus Christ has done for us through his sacrifice on the cross, but we also get to celebrate alongside of Mark Kibler later on in the river as we celebrate baptism where Jesus Christ, what, did not stay dead, but rose in the newness of life and calls us to do the same, to walk according to him and according to his word. It seems like there's a lot of like moving pieces and parts this morning. Craig, thank you, my brother, for leading us. I love your heart before the throne in worship today. I know that we've prayed. I need help. We're going to just Pause briefly and ask God to bless our time in his word this morning. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? The psalmist says, not unto us, not unto us, O Lord, but to your name be the glory. And Lord, that is our prayer as we focus on you. I thank you, Lord, for every single person that has gathered this morning. I would pray that your spirit would, would work amongst us, and within us as we consider a most important subject. Father, we thank you for your patience with us, your encouragement in our lives, and help us do that for others. And now may the meditation of my heart, words of my mouth be pleasing unto you and you alone. We ask this in Christ's name, Amen. So we've looked at basic things that we do here, and if you're new to Big Woods or maybe new to the church scene or like, I'm not quite sure what this is about, we've talked about the fact that there is preaching that takes place and and praying and serving and giving, and all of them are important. What I want to focus on today is that you actually can do all of those things kind of at arm's length. You can serve, but it still can have what? You can have like, here's a cup of coffee, cup of cold water, but there's still distance. But I I believe if we do all of those things, preaching, praying, serving, giving, and we miss this one that we're talking about this morning, the ministry of encouragement, then honestly, I believe that we have failed. That we've actually missed the mark. And you're like, why is that? Here's my explanation, here's my reason, because people matter. There's a, there's a legitimate concern, legitimate, genuine, sincere concern that we have to have for people's hearts and minds and bodies and souls. And today we look at, in a sense, it's soul care it's the ministry of encouragement and it is a good thing to do as Christians we are called to this but but for some reason when we hear this word encouragement we can be really broad really vague about what it means isn't encouragement just another word for being nice to one another don't don't butt in line don't take someone's parking spot don't make fun of them. And we're encouraging them. No, no. It is so much more than that. The word encouragement, parakaleio in Greek, it, it's, it's an intentionally broad term that means literally to call near, to invite, to invoke, to beseech, to call for, to call on, to comfort, to exhort to entreat, to pray for. And and I begin this morning with, with this encouragement. It's this important, but why is it so important? Why do we have to give attention to this? According to the scriptures, which we know are our final authority, there are actually goals of encouragement. Why should we do this? Here's the first one we want to kind of focus on this morning. Why encouragement? Why does this need to happen? For us to be an effective and faithful church. Listen to Paul's encouragement. We opened our Bibles to Colossians chapter 1 verses 27 through 29. I'm reading from the ESV, the word of the Lord. Here it is. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom, and here it is, that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. I don't know if you, you caught it or not. And when we begin to hear that it isn't going to include everyone, some of you are like, get me off the bus right now. Okay, I just don't know if I want to go there. Paul's objective is the fact that we present, look left and right, look in front of you or behind you. We have a responsibility to prevent prevent. Present everyone mature. It says in the New American Standard, everyone complete. We have a responsibility to to present everyone. It says in the King James Version, perfect. It means that we have a responsibility to present people holy in Christ. And Paul says that he's kind of letting us see inside his heart. He says, "I toil, struggling." Even the Apostle Paul is going to say, what? This this ministry that we are all called to, this is hard stuff. And it's going to take, what? What does he say? All of his energy that he powerfully works within me. Which means, what? The only way that this is going to happen is through the power of the resurrected Savior in order to do this. So think about this. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead is going to give you the ability and the means, what? To invite, to invoke, to beseech, to comfort. Which means one can stand up and preach all day long. One can go to their prayer closet and pray. One can serve from a distance. One can click to give. But I tell you what is going to happen. At times, you're going to have to stop your horse. You're going to have to get off. And you're going to have to get into the mud of other people's lives. That's what Paul saying. And he's saying, you know what? Let me, just, let me just set you up here. This is going to be tough to do. And yet we are called exactly to the same goal. It has been read twice already. Craig has stolen my thunder. And Pastor Stewart has reminded our young ones, and that's okay. But here it is, Hebrews chapter 10. Let us hold fast, hold tight. Don't let go to the confession of our hope without wavering. For he has promised, who has promised is faithful. Let us consider, let's think about... How to stir up one another to love and to good works. Not neglecting to meet together, which means you don't have the luxury to stay home. All right, Not if we're going to be faithful to Scripture. Not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some. Some got into a bad habit. Here it is. But encouraging one another all the more why because as we see the day approaching you just sang. i just heard those words we're almost home you know what that means you're almost dead that's what that means cheer you up this morning there's a day that is drawing near yes we end our lives here on this earth but god is what setting his sovereign plan putting it in what in motion he will bring all things to completion all things to fruition so what does this look like? Like it doesn't, it doesn't allow us the luxury of living in our own little box. What does this look like? A couple of weeks I'm gonna be preaching on the subject of membership. Why is this important? And you have witnessed it on numerous occasions if you've been around Big Woods where we have new members and we bring them forward and we what? We covenant together. And I read out loud this statement. What are we going to make a covenant to? Listen to this. This is the way that we are to behave. We're going to publicly promise to honor the Lord by being just in our dealings, faithful in our engagements, exemplary in our behavior, to avoid all tattling and gossip and backbiting and excessive anger. I like the way that it says excessive anger. We're allowed a little bit, just not excessive anger. We further engage to, listen to this, Watch over one another in brotherly love. Remember one another in prayer. To aid one another in sickness and distress. To cultivate Christian sympathy in feeling and Christian courtesy in speech. To be slow to take offense. But always ready for reconciliation and mindful of the rules of our Savior to secure it without delay. That's what we agree to. Do you agree to this? Yes, we do. What are you agreeing to? You're agreeing to the fact that encouragement is speaking the truth of God's word into someone else's life to draw them in their journey or their maturity toward godliness. Here's why we encourage it is for the purpose of collective or corporate holiness. That's why we do this. What a massive, massive responsibility. So think about this for a moment. We are in a life and death struggle in this world. We battle the the things of this world. We battle our own flesh. We battle the enemy. And our calling is to help each other cross the finish line together it's not like you like i win you're all back there it doesn't work like that we cross the finish line together by the grace of god why so we present everyone here's my brother here's my sister i've journeyed alongside of them perfect or holy or complete or mature in christ and you know it you know that what ministry is messy Why? Because our lives are messy. Now, we know that God is ultimately the one who who accomplishes this work. In his grace, he allows us, he blesses us with the opportunity to have a little tiny part, a little bit of responsibility. Just think for a moment of your week, in the course of one week, how many decisions you have to make Dozens, if not hundreds of decisions that are going to affect your usefulness, or I could say your uselessness, for the cause of Christ. So in these decisions, even if it's not explicitly sinful, there can be a A lot of foolish decisions that people make. Daily choices, how, how, how much or how little to work, how, how much or how little to save, how much or how little to give, how to parent, how to speak, what we say in our lives. And these decisions, all these little decisions, add up over the course of time, and they paint, in a sense, they write the storyline of your entire life. Like this week is one more chapter. Therefore, what? We know that we're going to be presented before the Lord. Of what is value is going to be lasting and the foolishness, the sinfulness is what is not going to. Therefore, we need one another. I need the counsel of others. You need the wisdom of one another to help us in every single area, in every single decision. How do we do this, and how do we do this well? That's why today we focus on this, to to stir up. We focus on what? How to encourage one another well. And I would ask this question, why is it so hard for us? Why is this ministry of encouragement so hard? Number two, I want to give you what I call the challenge or challenges of encouragement. Two things that we must be aware of as we, what, try to encourage others. The first one is that there's a struggle that's going on with inside every one of us of our own hearts. There's a struggle that goes on within our own heart. Write this down. <clears throat> Think about this. Our deepest desires motivate our decisions every day. Do you get it? Our deepest desires motivate our decisions every day. So what is, what is deep within inside of us? A, a sense of purpose. For some of you, it's popularity. You want to be seen and known. What is it? Power? I don't want to just, just follow along in the line. I want to be in the front of the line. Is it, is it pleasure? I just, I just want to feel. And there's a long list here. Food, sex, self, beauty, indulgence, extravagance. There's, there's a long list here. Our deepest desires motivate our decisions and yet we have that truth with how we live our lives in light of what both the prophet jeremiah and the apostle james both tell us jeremiah says what in chapter 17 that the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond a cure who can understand it James tells us what? That our passions are actually at war within us. And some of you can testify of that because you're in the midst of a battle right now. So when we find our brothers and sisters in this particular church, we're part of this family, and they're making decisions that you look at and they do not align with what we know Christ has called us to. We have a responsibility to what? to guess what say something to speak into their lives and we have to remember what that the source is isn't always external the reason that they do certain things like why do you do that it's not always external it's not just because the fact that they had a flat tire on the way to the office it's not the fact that they had a bad day. They're not feeling well. It's not external. It's not the fact that their third grade teacher picked on them, flunked them. Doesn't, doesn't, it's not external. It's not the fact that one ear is bigger than the other. Did you ever see that with somebody? You're like, man, your life is ruined, boy. Like, how are you going to maneuver your way through life? You got like one big ear. And we think about these externals, thus the reason that's why they behave the way that they behave. It is so important because so often when we're in relationships with one another, as brothers and sisters in Christ, we see things in their lives. It's almost like, Lord, don't let me see that. I don't want to see that. But we see things in their lives that are dishonoring to Christ. Christ. And our goal is often what? We've got to get them somehow to behave a different way. If he just wouldn't spend so much time with those people. And we try to correct their behavior. If she just spent more time in church. If only he would switch jobs and and he'd have more time with his family, then there wouldn't be these problems. But all too often we have to realize this. Behavior is not the root of the problem. Remember, only God can change a heart. We are what? We're simply his instruments. And so what happens is that we are called to, to weave our lives alongside of others. To knit our hearts to come alongside of. How do we do this? I tell you what, first and foremost, prayer is our best Weapon which means that we don't have to force people. Don't ever try to guilt someone into particular behavior modification. Don't coerce them. Rather, ultimately, we care about matters of the heart. And real change is going to happen when we pray for that person in love. We speak truth to them. We point them to Christ. And what? We live like Christ. We give them example of that's what it should look like. Knowing that we're not perfect. Because what all the while we know, I know, deep inside my own heart, it is prone to wander. What do we sing about? Prone to leave the God I love. interesting, I find that when Paul <clears throat> writes to the Galatians, and he, and, he, and he teaches them, he's speaking to them, he's writing to them how to restore someone who's been caught in sin. Excuse me, he says this If anyone is caught in any transgression, you, you who are spiritual, spirit led, should restore him in a spirit of gentleness, meekness. But keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Which means what? As we have a ministry to come alongside others, we better be careful of the condition of our own hearts. And by focusing on the heart, it reminds us that our goal is not just to make people feel happy. I'm gonna encourage them. I'm gonna like jingle something shiny in front of them or make them laugh. It's not just to help them feel happy. Encouraging others is that lives would be transformed in their desires to see Christ above all, to know Christ, and to make him known. By focusing on the heart, it reminds us it's not just behavior modification. Stop doing that. Start doing this. Not, not only is there a challenge and encouragement because of the condition of our own heart, but kind of pick up and look around. You know what another challenge is? Is that we live in a world with what? False thinking, worldly thinking, and hollow, deceptive philosophies that are everywhere. Paul writes, he continues on. We read Colossians chapter 1. In Colossians chapter 2, he says this in verse 8. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit. According to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. Now what happens if you kind of stay within that same terminology here? Think about this, all of us, all of us, all of the time are philosophers, and we're creating philosophies for meaning in our lives. What, what matters? matters? Why, why does that happen? Whose idea was this? What's, what's it really worth trying anyway? What's it even worth living for? And as we listen to the philosophies in this world, what happens is that we too often are deceived. Our minds, in a sense, are taken captive by what the world has to offer. It's kind of like you're whispering the truth of the gospel into one, one ear of one person. You're like whispering. And what and the other here, there is a megaphone that is shouting the, the philosophies and the false ideologies that live and exist in this world today. Our encouragement, what we must return to the truth of the gospel. We must rest, breathe deep in the fresh air of grace. But we know it's hard because our lives, we struggle. Um, <clears throat> two guys, Timothy Lane and, and Paul David Tripp, wrote a book called How People Change. And, and they talk about the fact that there's kind of a distance between what we know to be truth in the truth of the gospel and, in a sense, how we actually live our lives. And he calls it, they refer to it as the gospel gap, where we live kind of with a mix of we understand this to be true, but we kind of buy what the lies that we hear shouted by the megaphone in this ear. And they break it down and kind of give examples. And I won't go through all of, the, all of them in detail, but just kind of a bring, what is it that we buy, that we kind of wrap our lives alongside of? Lane and Tripp talk about formalism, where we participate regularly. We're even active in ministries at the church, and my life is under control. But what church, actually, you can do all of this, and it can have very little impact on the condition of your own hearts. And how I live my life. And what happens is we can become very, very judgmental toward other. Very critical towards other. Easily offended. But we're checking all the boxes. Or how about legalism? I live by the rules. The rules I create for myself. And you better live by the rules that I create for you as well. That is graceless. That is loveless. There is no joy in that. And we become haughty and arrogant and bitter. Or how about mysticism? The incessant pursuit, trip, and Lane say, of the emotional experience with God. I live for moments that I feel, I just feel so. Someone said it this week, I just I love to do something good because I feel good. Well, that's an endless pursuit. And it's idle, and it's empty. You cannot live only and exclusively for and on the emotional high. That's gonna, that's gonna dissipate pretty quick. There's activism. We get excited about Christianity mainly to fix the problems in this broken world. And let me tell you this you and I are never going to fix the problems of poverty and hunger in this world. Yes, we are to care for those, we're to offer food to the hungry and, and, and water for the thirsty, but that's not our goal in life. We're never going to alleviate poverty. Recycle all you want, and you should do that. You're not going to stop the world, what, in its perpetual decline. The world is trying to tell you, oh, yes, yes, you can. Or even what? Biblicism, a reducing of the gospel to to content. I mastered this. I have this knowledge. I know the Bible better than anyone else here. People actually had said that. And yet, what? They don't even let that truth rule and reign in their own hearts. And they just get impatient with other people because they don't know as much as they do. All of these are anti gospel philosophies based on half truths, easy to fall for, easy to fall into, which is exactly why we need this ministry of encouragement to come alongside. 2 Corinthians 10, we demolish arguments. Remember we did a a series last fall before we launched into Genesis on spiritual warfare? And we started right here. Part of our responsibility is to destroy and demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And they're endless today. We take captive every thought and make it obedient Christ, And and that's that's the challenge, a struggle with our own hearts because we struggle with the noises that we hear in the world. Let let me tell you, you cannot walk down the middle of the road. Okay, you can't just like, I'm just going to stay here. I'm going to kind of keep one foot here. I'm going to keep one foot here. I'm going to kind of appease these people and I'm going to kind of placate. It does not work like that. Later on this morning, we're going we're to dunk Mark, and he's going to get all the way wet. He's not going to be a little bit wet. Which means that he is what? At some level, he is choosing, I'm all in. I'm in. That means our responsibility is to come alongside of a new brother in Christ. Just like every one of us, we journey Thirdly, we create a culture of encouragement. I think there's a couple things here that we need to do as a church to create this healthy culture of encouragement. Let me give you two of them very quickly. First of all, we have to have a willingness to reveal the fact that we struggle in our own life. And right there, people are like, give me off this bus. Not only a willingness, what? To reveal your own struggles, but you have got to have a willingness to come alongside people as they reveal their struggles to you. And you're like, wait a minute, i got enough problems to deal with. I don't need yours. J- James chapter 5, verse 16 says, Confess your sins to one another. Really? Yeah. Confess your sins to one another. Pray, there it is, for one another, and I love this: that you may be healed, mature, perfect, holy. You just, just, just stop, like, just pause. I draw. I'm a. I'm a. I draw little stop signs on my notes. Like, stop. There's a stop sign here. Think about this. Do you make it a habit? to share the struggles of your life with others? I'm stopping because I don't want stoplights. Do you make it a habit to reveal and share your struggles with others? And I'm not talking like, you gotta, you got to hang all your dirty laundry out for every single person and every dark little secret and sin that you have. I'm not talking entirely about that, but we all struggle in our battle towards holiness. Are you, are you at least honest with people? Casually. How are you doing today? You know what? It's been a tough day. I think it's a tough day today because it's been a tough week. Like you don't have to go into the depths of it, but you got to at least be real with one another. And then, if if we're we're honest with people in a casual relationship, those that we have a closer personal relationship, do you go deep with them? You you need to, not necessarily with everyone, but there has to be a few, two, three, four, older women alongside younger women, older men alongside younger men teaching them do do you do this Or, or if we broaden it away from do you do this let's kind of step back panoramic are we making this church welcoming for a struggling person what does that mean does that mean that whatever you're doing by all means God bless you no no but do we come alongside of them Or is this a place that we just kind of pretend to have it all together? Shiny, plastic people. You realize one of the best, and I would say one of the kindest things that we can do for people who are struggling and are kind of like on the fence about this whole following Jesus thing. Maybe they're on the fence about like a full commitment, we on the fence about joining a church as a member. One of the best things we can do is make it very clear that this church is filled with people just like they are. One of the best things that we can do. Why? Because every single one of us struggle toward holiness. Every single morning. I pray, Lord, please help me. Help me not to mess up any more than I've messed up. Give me patience that is beyond myself. Give me love that is spirit-born from within because I I don't have it. There's a lot of hardness and selfishness and grossness in my heart, in my life. When someone opens up to you and there's those moments... Where it seems like the stars have kind of all aligned and everything. And, and there's a moment, maybe you're sitting alongside of a fire later on today at lunch. And you just kind of, you, you begin to engage in conversation. And someone opens up to you. And they begin to kind of share their soul. And you get a glimpse. Tell you what, stay, stay away from the simple, trite solutions that, that are almost insulting to people. Someone admits the fact in tears that they're struggling with depression. What you need is just some sunshine. You need some vitamin D in Psalm 139. It's going to fix it up every time. What is that? And that, that's, that's what happens. I'm just struggling with, with, with doubting God and fear of God. You've got to fill out that slip of paper and you've got to join a WANA team. That's what you've got to do. It's going to help with your doubts fe- your of God. No, no, we can't go that route. When a person is opened up, what an opportunity for you to kind of have a tiny little part in God sanctifying them, setting them apart towards holiness. And you better get ready. I tell you what, we better be, we better be a church that is on task because this is not going to happen at a time that's convenient with your schedule. It's going to cost you. It's going to take your time. It might take your money. And the more that I would say it costs you, I would say, good. Good. We better be bearing one another's burdens so we fulfill the law of Christ. Fourthly and finally, there's no Sunday school, just a reminder. So, how to encourage people well. Let, let me, let me leave, leave you with this, these couple of thoughts. See the individual like, don't, don't put them in a category. I know where you're coming from. And, and, and know this. Know that there is not a simple formula here, okay? Every single person is unique. Every single person is created in the image of God. Stare at your own finger for a moment and just stare at the uniqueness of your fingerprint, that there is no two fingerprints, of what, the 7.4 billion people that exist on the face of the earth today. Every single person is unique. And we need to learn how best to care for them. And I am so thankful because I don't have it, but we know the wisdom of scriptures. And I'll have to do with this one. It should be written for you on the bottom of your little note sheet in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And we urge you, brothers. We urge you, sisters. Here it is. Here's the goal. Admonish the idol. Well, I just, I just don't know if like, I could do that. Well, no, no, that's our responsibility. You're going to be obedient to Scripture. You're not going to be obedient to Scripture. It doesn't give you, okay, like a badge. You're not a spiritual policeman arresting people because they broke the law. I urge you, admonish the idol. Listen to this, encourage the faint-hearted. I love this, help the weak. And then he kind of puts a a covering of roof and he says, be patient with everybody. Why? Because Paul says earlier, this is a struggle, this is hard. Are they idle? Another word, New American Standard, I think, uses the word unruly. Timid? They need to be graciously what? Graciously feel the hand of motivation in love and grace behind them? Or are they just weak and need someone to help shoulder them? How do I come alongside of here? Let me give you three things. First of all, speak scripture. Forgive me. Like, you might have a great story Don't always start with your story. You might get to your story, but your story is pretty choppy and up and down. Let's begin. Let's start by speaking scripture into their lives. And you're not just like throwing a verse at them. What you gotta do is you gotta say this verse 10 times. Write it down, put it in front of your mirror. Not just throwing verses at them. We speak the truth in a way that they know that they are cared for, that they hear you. If you're speaking but they're not listening, you've got to back up the bus. Remind them how God has always, 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 always proved himself faithful when we have failed. When we have been faithless. Take them to the truth of Scripture that says he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Take them to the fact that there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. He he has filled us so we can thrill others, not with our own story, but with the story of the gospel. Secondly, help them meditate on Scripture. The certainty of, of forgiveness it doesn't matter if they're idle it doesn't matter if they're timid it doesn't matter if they're weak thrill them with the fact that god's love is beyond anything that they will ever know anything that they will ever hear of anything that they will ever experience take them to scripture to understand the depth of the gospel god made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that what in him we might become righteousness set apart, justified the righteousness of God speak scripture offer them the hope that is beyond the brokenness and craziness of this world thirdly and finally identify evidence of God's grace in their lives which means what? you might have to dig deep you might have to listen to things that you want to listen to but I tell you what You find something and you recognize whatever fruit of the Holy Spirit is working in their life. Encourage them about that. Tell them about that. I see this in you. And God is doing a work. He's not leaving us. He's not going to forsake us. And it gives them what? In assurance. We're not sprinkling a little bit of this spiritual dust on them. No, this is real life stuff. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Think about this. Paul's going to write a stinging letter of rebuke to the Corinthians. I mean, it's, it's, it's going to hurt. And he begins with what? He begins by recognizing, I give thanks to my God always for you. Because of the grace of God that was given to you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in him, in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony about the Lord Jesus Christ was confirmed among you. What is he doing? He's still what? Even in the midst of their sinfulness and brokenness, he's still pointing them to the message that we hold on tight to. And what is that? We have the amazing opportunity to celebrate and remember it through the community table today. Ministry of encouragement, encouraging, coming alongside of one another, helping them toward holiness. Well, it's not going to happen in your strength, in your wisdom, in your brilliance, in your beauty or mine. It's going to happen when we take them to what? To the message that says, you know what? You know what you deserve as a result of your own sin? You deserve to be torn and wrecked and punished eternally. And God loved us so much that he offered his own son to step in and say, you know what, I'm going to take this for you. And we know the setting, we know the scene. When Jesus Christ, the night that he was betrayed, he was sitting with what? That small group in the upper room. And he knows what's going to happen. And they're like kind of there, kind of clueless, kind of leaning in. And he took a piece of bread. And and the bread probably looked like this. Like flat. There's no leaven. There's no yeast in it. It's a picture of the body of Christ. Sinless. No sin in him. Behold the lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. That's the one. The only lamb that was without blemish. And Jesus said, see this bread here guys? He he broke it and he says, this bread is a picture of my body. This is for you. What you're going to witness is for you. Eat this and we know what happens. Every single sense, we taste it, we touch it, we smell it, we see it, we feel it. It's embedded into our minds and our memories forever. Don't ever forget, even in the most tumultuous seas, in the darkest, darkest times when the clouds are forming and you feel that what? That heaving in your chest that says, I just, I just don't have it in me. This is where we go. And Jesus also took the fruit of the vine and he poured it out. And he said, just as this is poured out, my blood is going to be poured out for you. People are like, well, what exactly is that? Why do you guys talk about blood? Blood offers life. Lose blood, lose life. Jesus said, I'm going to have it all poured out. My life is going to be given up so that you are made new. Through Christ dying, we are brought to a place of living. That's the message of the gospel. That's the message that we offer to one another. And they sat around and he said, "One, I want you to eat this. I want you to drink this. And every single time you gather, every time. Don't forget this. This is what it's about. This is the ministry, the message of encouragement. Lose this, we lose everything. Lock the doors, turn off the lights, go home. Don't come back. But this is transforming us by what? The renewing of our minds of how we live our lives in worshipful sacrifice to the Lord Jesus Christ, in full obedience. We forget things. We have the megaphone of the world's philosophies and lies shouting at us. We get ticked off and bothered by one another. How dare he say that? We're easily offended. I don't want to get off my horse and get down in the mud with that person. And so we stay off. And and Jesus says, "No, no, 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 you're missing it. That's not what we do. This is what I did for you. This is what you're to do for others. I want to remind you that, that our communion time as we gather the third Sunday is for believers. For people that have acknowledged the fact that God is real, He's created them, He loves them. And that what? We're in need of a Savior and there's only one. It's not you. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. We put our faith and our trust in the full finished work of Jesus Christ, what was accomplished on the cross and in the tomb, and we make that decision, then this is for you. And I invite you to take this, remember it. Some of you are sitting here today and you're like, I don't know about this. Like I've not been here before. This is all new. I don't want to be rude in any way, but I would ask if you have not made that decision and you're not living in obedience in any way, you have no desire And I politely ask you, please refrain from this. Nobody's going to force it down your throat. But I love how it says in Scripture that today, today, this day, is the day of salvation. We recognize that we're in need of Christ. And you can, what, just sitting there in the quietness of your own seat, say, Lord, forgive me, a sinner. I trust you to be my Savior. I want to follow you every single day. The waters of baptism are waiting for you to make that decision if you have not made it. I'm gonna invite the elders to come up and some deacons some men to serve you. What we're going to do here just so that you understand um, and for the sake of time, there's three, four, five different stations. We're gonna take a moment just to quiet our hearts in prayer. Thank the Lord for what he's done for us. And then you can get up on your own accord and go, and the guys will serve you bread and a cup. Go back to your seat. Don't don't drink it right there. Go back to your seat. And we're going to bless it together. And we're family. We eat together. And then we'll sing a song after we enjoy the celebration of the Lord Jesus Christ before we head over to our time together at the river. God bless. Thank you, brothers, for serving us. Pray with me. <clears throat> Father, we're just a thousand things kind of swirling, and, and we pause. And think slow down for moments like this, and we thank you. We thank you for who you are, your love for us, and the demonstration of that love. You don't, you don't love from afar. You love close up. I'm thinking, Lord, of nails driven through hands, and the tearing of flesh, and and Lord, all of that for for me, for us, and we are we are stunned to your mercy and your grace and your love. Now, as we recognize, Lord, the importance. Of your sacrifice, I would pray, Lord, that you would fill us with your spirit. Allow this bread and this cup to nourish us and strengthen us. Lord, you've encouraged us. You left the glories of heaven to come down in the the muck and the mire of this world. And Lord, we need your help. I need your help to do that and do that well. Please help us. Bless this bread, bless this cup, bless, Lord, this body of believers may you use us to be faithful ferocious followers of Jesus we ask this in Christ's name Amen it's actually in that same letter that Paul is writing to the Corinthians and he says this I received from the Lord but I also delivered to you that the Lord Jesus on the night and he which was betrayed he took bread and when he had given thanks he broke it And he said, this is my body which is for you. Do this. Eat this in remembrance. Remember me. It says, in the same way also, he took the cup. After supper, saying... This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Every time, as often as you eat this bread, every time you drink this cup, you're proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes, and we pray that he would come quickly. Craig, lead us. Uh, Mark's gospel, I think it's in Mark's gospel that before they left this gathering, they sang a hymn together. And we're going to do that at this time.